In this week's ad for JoeShrimpShack.com, we tried to have Kyle, Jim's son, do the advertisement for us. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, doesn't like to do impromptu advertising, so this is all we got. Bro, help me, I'm stuck. I just bought a new tank and can't figure out what to put in it, bro. I'll put something in it. I'm going to go to Joe Shrimp Shrack and order, ow, this f***ing cat just stabbed me. Hundreds of shrimp and you're saving 50% with promo code. Aquarium guys, one word, at checkout. Thank you. That's all I need. You can't use it. It's just so yeah, big shout out to Kyle. Thank you for uh, attempting and then leaving. But uh, go to joeshrimpshack.com, promo code Aquarium guys at checkout for 15% off of everything in the store. JoeShrimpShack.com, because even family gives up on you. Just a few last notes before we start the podcast. We still have giveaways. We have J4 Flower Horns giving away a prize-winning flower horn and some food. Certainly check in the show notes. And also, Cobalt Aquatics and Reflowers are doing an amazing aquascaping contest. Certainly submit your aquascapes, whether they be fresh or saltwater. Please submit them in the link below. All right. We're ready to get down to Funky Town? Do it. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Welcome, guys, to the podcast. I'm your host, Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby. Where's that? And I'm... <laughs> oh, that was perfect. Oh, man. Adam leans into the microphone and smacks his head. I love it. It was like he was headbanging, but he... So Adam actually has a towel just so he has to use his area mic because he refuses to buy himself a condenser mic. So to make his voice sound as luscious as his face, he puts a towel over him in the computer. So he just did that and yeeted himself off the computer. That was hilarious. My editing skills can't help you if you break your face, buddy. I'm just saying. Adam, <laughs> are you right. okay? Do we need to call 911? No, I'm fine. Do you, fe- do you feel safe at home? Just wondering. Is that a trick question? <laughs> no, it's not a trick question. That's what they ask at the doctor. <laughs> Sorry. This week, we have uh, a couple guests on. Uh, we have returning fan favorites to ask uh, a couple questions uh, from. We have Les and Kyle from Cobalt Aquatics this evening. How are you doing, guys? Doing good. Yeah, doing great. So this evening's topic that we're talking about is specifically plant fertilizers. So we've had a lot of different questions in the past trying to get uh, some real specifics on what I should use, when, and why is it so complicated, and who better than our mixologist from Cobalt? What we're here for. Our mixologist. Make your life easy. Make our life easy. So, I didn't know I was supposed to have a cocktail. I, I, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, five o'clock everywhere at uh, Aquarium Guys Podcasts. So uh, let's go, before we get into the topic at hand, let's go over some reviews and fan mail. So, Jimmy, I, I'd like to start with just the fan mail first, because I, I just got so happy. So last week, again, we record these in the future. So last week... <laughs> we record these in the future? We record these in the future. Okay. So when you're hearing it, it's in the future. We're right now in the past because we're time travelers here at the Aquarium Guys podcast. So we just released... We're creating alternate timelines? Absolutely. We're driving a DeLorean. Okay. We're, last week, we just released the flower horn episode. That was naughty. With J4 flower horns. And it was a lot of fun for us, but I think we had like a ticker. Like we tempted. I lost count and just threw it away about the words we used. Now, for those that are listening, uh, a flower horn is a very beautiful creature. 
um, big size cichlid, and it has like a round ball stuck to its forehead. That round ball is called a cock, a K-O-K it's spelled. So, of course, we're going to ask him about the unique feature on this crazy fish. And we said cock, you know, 30 million times. Way too many times. Way Easy. too many times. It's like a bunch of nine-year-olds. You know, was, and mom went up town and we're just talking about it, it was a good time like you know what's the right size cock what happens to a cock when it's sick what's the best color all kinds of craziness so immediately because i released that at midnight my time in central uh united states so immediately the next morning i get an email from one of our favorite viewers in the uk which is now a regular on the show shout out to peter the sunfish guy so he says, so today I got home from work due to an abscess on my gum that was growing throughout the day. This is his email that he this sent is his us. his email. While I was waiting for my prescription, listening to the flower horn episode on Full Blast, the pharmacy assistant was giving me some odd looks. I just thought it was because my podcast was too loud. So then she went and had a chat with the lead pharmacy person who called me into a separate room. And I thought this was to discuss, discuss the medication that I was being given. Oh, how I was wrong. Bear in mind that this person knows that I'm married, have four kids with the fifth on the way. By the way, Adam, my cock is bigger. Um, he then proceeded, <laughs> he proceeded to talk to me about gay relationships and me <laughs> giving me leaflets and pamphlets about having safe sex and the advice of my first time with a man. I asked, why are you giving me this stuff? He said that everyone in the pharmacy could hear the gay podcast you're listening to talking about girth, cock size, and what the perfect cock means to you. I just thought these may help you with your decisions. <laughs> I had to explain and show Google proof of what a cock was and what the hell I was listening to. So thanks, guys, because this really made my day, and my wife has yet to stop laughing. Peter the Sunfish Guy. So, uh... <laughs> um, this is exactly the best review. This is why we do the podcast right here, is for these snippets. So if you have anything similar, please send it to us. Thank you, Peter. I couldn't stop laughing when I first got this. Yeah, I don't know why you're listening to it uh, on your phone and the pharmacy and stuff, but uh, thank you for doing that. Well, you got to imagine the dude sitting there with an abscess on his gum. He doesn't want to wear headphones because his whole face hurts. And then he's just like out of it, kind of just doesn't want to be there, trying to get a giggle with the aquarium guys on his phone and just making everybody feel uncomfortable. Even though we warned you, there's going to be cock mentioned a million times before we start the podcast. So, Is this uh, one going to be have an explicit on it also? Because, you know, HR got really pissed at you two. Well, <laughs> not us two. This evening, we have a wonderful lady named Barb with us. She is monitoring our conversations and will slap us if we uh, we continue our, our antics. So uh, if you guys want to see Barb, she is actually live on our new Twitch channel, which we're doing every time we do these podcasts. We try to do them Mondays at 7 central p.m. Join us, twitch.tv forward slash aquarium guys. So, next thing we have is the reviews. Now, most places don't even let you put a review in for a podcast, which makes me sad, honestly. But Apple does. So, Apple's the, you know, one of the two big names in the podcast game. So, we go on there and we do monitor these things. So, every review you leave, we see. Trust me. So, we haven't done a, a review board in a while. But we got a, a couple more. And I'm just going to grab the most, you know, two recent, right? So, one says some good info. Four stars, Jimmy, out of five. Four stars out of five your mom gave us. Right. All oh, right. You can tolerate the attempts at humor to get the information, but I, le uh, I like these guys, but they're not as funny as they think they are, but very informative. 
See, uh, that is exactly how I thought all of our reviews should go. So uh, thank you for giving so, uh, our own review of ourselves. Jimmy's looking at me like, what? <laughs> well, we're, we're pretty damn funny some days. Are you? Yeah. Well, not according to uh, CMC250. Well, I'm glad I gave some wrong information on that podcast, and I hope he just totally blows it now. Oh, Jimmy, so spiteful. Uh, next one is uh, five stars. It just says Rob's. Uh, informative, fun, hilarious. Uh, must listen show. There's nothing like it at all. I highly recommend to enthusiasts a must subscribe. So uh, thank you for the wonderful reviews. Please review us. It helps our analytics. And uh, even the four-star ones, we, we love to death. We, we get a, a good giggle and agree with you, frankly. So you got anything for us, Jimmy, this week? Nothing. I uh, drained my pond today. Uh, the water temperature was 35 degrees, and uh, my hands are still cold. But I got all my koi out. We're supposed to get three to five inches of snow tomorrow. So pretty excited. Yeah, pretty excited here in Minnesota. I haven't even had a hard freeze yet. You, you're like six hours south, you pansy. It's That's been sitting sad thing. 24 degrees Fahrenheit, because I have to tell our UK audience. Uh, 24 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's what, not even like, that was the first half of October we got that low. Yeah, so it's been pretty miserable. Hey, Kyle, what's the forecast there tomorrow? We're 75 I'm not here. sure. I don't think it's ever gotten down to uh, 24 here. Um, it's it's mid, mid-70s. mid Bright sunshine. I hate you. Breeze. I you hate you individually. Fluke go fluke yourselves. Got the, got the windows <laughs> open. Just let that breeze come in. It's nice. It's always a good time at uh, Cobalt Aquatics. Oh, all right. I got uh, nothing major other than uh, new development on my 125. I told everybody that it leaks. Now I found out that because it leaked onto this cheap stand that I had that came with it, now the stand's ruined and... I'm uh, going to cry and see if I can find myself some uh, great steals on Facebook Marketplace. I'm excited for you. When you do find a stand and you need somebody to help you carry it down, don't call me. No, because I think we both lost a testicle taking that downstairs. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Barb, the HR lady, uh, does not like to us to talk about testicles. So, uh, sorry, Barb. <laughs> Blew a nut. I got, I got like the whole hand motion, like cut your throat. Okay. Well. She she might cut you. You never know. Did, I wish she would cut you. I don't think we're paying her enough. Your, but, did any of your flower horns cocks get messed up in the leaking tank? I didn't have flower horns in that tank, thank thank goodness. <laughs> so all my cocks are very safe. <laughs> yes, indeed. Did did your wife forgive you for making her clean it up? No, she did it all. And don't let Rob tell you that hey, he helped. I was up until 5 a.m. cleaning, sir. That is that is unfair. Yeah, transferring fish. The only thing that you were cleaning was probably your browser website. My uh, browser history. History. Yeah. <laughs> After doing that J four episode. Yeah, exactly. That's all you were cleaning up. Well, guys, before we start uh, diving in, we've had you both on the podcast before. And we <laughs> that can, sounded dirty right there. We we certainly we've got, had you both. We've had you both. You know, now we get you together, and that's that's what really matters. The more the merrier. So we'll have links below in uh, in the chat, but you can find um, Les and Kyle both on our prior episodes if you want to learn more of how they got into the hobby. But uh, it, it's a it's a great deal. I want to make my official announcement on my own podcast that uh, I'm I'm now part of the uh, the Cobalt team. With uh, Les and Kyle. So now I get to uh, irritate them, not just by sending text messages, but, you know, company emails. So I blocked your number. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was nice that you guys, it's nice that you guys uh, adopted yeah. a, a, uh, a puppy, and uh, I wish you guys well. 
Right. So now I am. Uh, and there, there's multiple layers that you got to go through before you get to me, too. So good luck with that. Multiple layers. <laughs> He's like an onion, <laughs> kind of like Shrek. <laughs> layers. Yeah, like Shrek. Yeah. Well, if like a parfait. If someone needs reflowers, <laughs> probugs, or cobalt goodies, I now uh, help uh, stores get uh, connected with uh, cobalt. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a p- privilege and honor being on the team. So thank you guys. We're excited to have you. Well, well, one of us is. One yeah, of I was going to say. One of us. Wow. They're, they don't know you that well yet. Oh, give it time. Give it time. I'm already annoying after like a week. It doesn't take that long. It doesn't take long. No. All right. So, guys, we, uh, a couple hours. <laughs> we called you in <laughs> to talk about plant fertilization. So, um, when's the – we've talked about your past and how you got into the hobby. That's generally how we start and go from there. So, in this instance – when uh, we'll start with Kyle, when's the first time that you started uh, realizing that uh, you're totally a plant guy and want to use uh, plant fertilization more often? <laughs> I set him up as a disaster. water guy. Uh, the, the first time was uh, a good friend of mine named Phil. He was a big planted tank guy, and um, he actually ended up having to stay in the hospital for an extended stay and asked me if I would take care of his tank. And I knew nothing at all about dosing a planted tank. So he basically wrote everything out on a piece of notebook paper and taped it to the front of the tank. And I went over there and learned how to dose a uh, freshwater planted tank. Now, how long ago was this, Kyle? About four years ago now. That's that's definitely diving in. I was going to say uh, before, I always got like a bunch of misinformation. I still have my grandmother's books on how to do plant fertilizer. And there's literally some like some that tell you how to create your own liquid fertilizer and uh oh, yeah. it still does, scares me does it involve chasing a cow with a bucket uh the, there was one old one that suggested you should put like liquid manure in your tank in small drips uh, wait I, really yes yeah. uh, it was totally wrong but uh maybe it was right i don't know i've never put poop in my tank intentionally oh no please yeah, uh, some of those old school books they're they're, they're crazy i have one that tells you to put a uh, diesel fuel on top of your pond to keep mosquitoes out of it in the summer Hey, does it work? That kill your tank? I walked in on the tail end of this because I heard someone put poop in their tank. Hi, Joe. This is uh, Joe from Joe Shrimp Shack. Uh, Uh, All all I'm going to say about this is I'm really, really glad that I was not on your flower horn episode because everything you guys are saying, I'm trying to spin into a cock joke. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Les says cock on the brain again. Yes, exactly. Oh, no. So we've talked in the past uh, as a helpful advice to people for, you know, how to take uh, and start different plants. And we just say start easy and then work your way up. So, you know, start with your hornwort, start with the dwarf sage grass, you know, start with guppy grass, maybe even java moss and work your way up from there. But uh, I'm not going to lie. I've been a big person myself to never use fertilize, uh, fertilization. I, I've tried it, uh, some of the stuff in the past and not that I got bad results, but it's always been a pain or I got even worse, some of the other um, products on the market that are essentially just phosph- uh, phosphorus in a bottle. It's not really a full-spectrum fertilization. So um, let's talk a little bit about – we didn't get Les's uh, opinion. I want to hear first from Les uh, when you started uh, doing fertilization for the first time, and then we'll get right into uh, <laughs> talking about the, the, the process. Yeah, I want to hear about your first time, like like Kyle was first time with Phil. right. Yeah. The first time I fertilized. Yeah. Yes, please. Either, I don't know if there's a flower horn involved or not. But there maybe. isn't. It could be. Uh, It'd be a small hope. flower horn. We hope. Uh, I, uh, I 
didn't keep freshwater plants as a early hobbyist. I started with plants when I got into retail. So in college, when I started working at a fish store is when I started getting into plants. So all my childhood years, I didn't really do them. But when I got into uh, the retail section, really got the bug for it and started figuring that out. So that's 1990, maybe around that time frame when I started working in fish stores. And then uh, really took off in marine when I was uh, working in the lab at Marineland. Um, was really into rainbows and into plants at that point. We had a big 325-gallon uh, plant tank out in the front lobby of the Marineland headquarters. That was uh, fun to fun to take care of. There's something about having uh, rainbows, specifically in a planted tank, that's uh, really really nice, just because of the the egg scattering and the they really motion between plants a lot. So that's like everybody, rainbows get plants, and it's just the seeming seemingly needed combo. But let's talk a little bit about the aquarium cycle and how plants fit into that. Just an overview, um, Kyle or less dealer's choice. Sorry, you kind of broke up. I didn't catch that question. Oh, my apologies. I would say let's talk about the aquarium cycle and how plants fit into that, and why uh, why we need fertilization overall for some of the beginners listening. You want to tackle that, Kyle, or you want me to? What? Why not let the saltwater guy tackle it? See how I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, plants are great because they're, in my opinion, and in a lot of people who have kept plants' opinions, uh, infinitely better than any filter you can buy and put on your tank. Um, plants have the great ability of taking up excess nutrients, waste, um, phosphate, as you mentioned earlier, nitrates, things like that. Um, not to mention just what they add to a tank from a natural perspective where you get extra cover for shy fish. Um, you know, a lot of planted tanks, you see these small schooling fish that like to have a little bit of cover to make them feel safe and safer the fish feels, the more active it is and out and about in the tank. And, you know, just the overall aesthetic and every planted tank, you know, is done a little bit differently. There's several different types of aquascaping and everything. And you can really kind of make that tank personal and make it your own with plants. I like to go with like modern aquarium history. And we had uh, Alexander Williamson to talk about that with us before. And when these uh, tanks started, it's all about, you know, a little before World War II, uh, after World War I, when it was harder to get fish because, again, we didn't have modern air travel really accessible as a commercial feature. We had limited access to fish. We didn't have a lot of ways to do it besides some uh, air piston pumps, which were really being perfected at the time. So most tanks, even when you look at like a 1940s, 1950s aquarium guide for kids, they recommend, you know, starting with thick substrate, have layers into it, and then a plants are not, like, optional. They're an absolute must, and then you would do weekly water changes and no heat in a lot of situations. You'd have stuff like white clouds, and if you did have heat, it was Bunsen burners. So Yeah, those, those plants really helped with early filtration. 100%. That was, like, the, the real way of doing filtration between water changes and... You, really backing water changes for, you know, how crowded the tank was. Absolutely. I think, I think what you're trying to lead us into is nitrogen uptake by plants and how does that affect the ammonia or the new tank syndrome or cycling in an aquarium? Is that where you're trying to lead us? Down Absolutely. So questioning? I mean, you know, you're paint okay. a, paint a picture because we're trying to cater not to just our experts, which we have a lot of, but also our, our new listeners that don't understand the benefits of why we should use plants. And uh, then we'll get into how to make plants better with fertilization. So uh, from like a, I th like I think you're trying to do lead us into this topic of ammonia uptake or, or nitro nitrogen conversion. So fish excrete ammonia right in the beginning or all the time. That's their nitrogenous waste is ammonia. 
they, ex they expel it through the gills through passive diffusion. So whatever level ammonia is in your tank is gonna be what it is in the fish. They don't have an active pump with an exception of some goldfish and some betas, might be able to pump some out, but in general fish, whatever level ammonia is in, their, in the tank is in their system. So that's why we care about nitro, the nitrogen cycle or the new tank syndrome is as the tank starts, there's no biological process to remove that ammonia. And so the ammonia level rises up in the aquarium. Plants can absorb nitrogen, um, specifically in this case, ammonia or nitrate. And most freshwater plants and most uh, algaes are really geared towards using nitrate because in the wild, most of the nitrogen available to them, organic nitrogen is in the form of nitrate because it's already being converted down. But they can use ammonia in photosynthesis. And so plants in the old days before we had any filter or understanding of biological filter beds, uh, poop in a bottle, I think is what you like to call it, right? I, I wish there was a product that said that. We've been trying for yeah. so long. Poop juice. Poop juice. Poop, poop juice in a bottle. Uh, the poop juice, before we understood what microbes were doing, plants kind of filled that gap because they would, they would absorb the nitrogen out of the system and keep the ammonia down and keep the nitrite down to a minimum and ultimately help balance that thing like Kyle said. Uh, so through the process of photosynthesis, you need a nitrogen source, a carbon source, and a phosphate source. Uh, it's called a famous thing, Kyle and I were chatting about it earlier today, called the Redfield Ratio. So um, that's the ratio of carbon to nitrogen to uh, phosphorus that photosynthesis requires. Um, in the global scale, it's 106 to 16 to 1, where you have 106 carbons with 16 nitrogens and one phosphorus will, can, will do one reaction of photosynthesis. So you need a lot of carbon, you need a pretty good amount of nitrate, and you need very, very little phosphate. Um, so when you're talking about new tank setups and all that, that ratio will help, will absorb every time a plant is photosynthesizing, it's going to be sucking up that nitrogen source. Fantastic. I'm just going over a list again, because we first have to tell people why they need plants for some of the beginners, and then we get into the topic. So number one, we, we talked about filter, how it does the cycle. Um, next thing that I think on the list would be beneficial to uh, explain, when you set up a new tank, immediately you put the decor in, you put the... Uh, um, gravel in all the accessories and then you, you try to cycle your tank maybe add one fish um, put biological bacteria in the bottle cycle your tank out and let's you know paint a picture you put no plants in uh, bless you you put no Excuse plants me. in then COVID not it immediately you start seeing <laughs> algae grow in your tank if there's no plants so what I always tell people is if you want a nice tank over plant and the same resources that the algae use compete with the other plants, and it really slows down the algae production right up front. Because a lot of people, they have either small uh, algae blooms in the glass, accessories, or what have you, because their tank's still going through that, that cycle process. So that's always my recommendation is combat algae, have not something nice in your tank. Yeah, and some of that is, uh, can de definitely help out, but there is uh, like an ecological principle called pioneering species where some, some algae blooms you're just not going to be able to get away with when you start up a new tank. Um, Kyle being the saltwater guy, I'm sure you're very well aware of the diatoms when you start the new tank, uh, because there are there's always going to be car carbon and nitrogen are part of an open system in your aquarium. Even though your aquarium is closed, uh, carbon can come in through CO2, can come in, you know, any, through food or whatever. Uh, nitrogen is the same thing, comes in your water changing. Phosphorus is the, uh, and gas from the you know, 
nitrogen in the air. Uh, it can be assimilized in that, but phosphorus is the only thing that's a closed loop. Um, but there's all sorts of other things that you need. And in saltwater, for instance, the diatoms, silica. You have, when you first start up a brand new tank, you have a ton of silica in there. You get any sort of bloom or boost in the nutrients of carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus with an abundance of silica. Even if you have a coral and algae or a, a bunch of other stuff growing, you're going to get a diatom bloom. And it's very similar on the freshwater side of some of the algaes. Um, but the saltwater one, every brand new saltwater tank, about three to five weeks in, gets a diatom bloom for a little bit because of that. Is there any way to like stop the diatom blooms? Because those are always a pain in the ass up north because I'd get that rusty reddish brown diatom. And then everybody buys algae eaters when I had my store. They'd buy the placostomus and then it just kills the placostomus. But there's no way to stop it, is there? Get rid of the silica. Patience too. Because as the it, diatoms grow, a, uh, the longer the diatoms grow, the more the silica they remove, and eventually they outcompete themselves. Thank you. While they're still <laughs> always there, they'll they just won't be in that massive bloom level where you see it just kind of coating everything. Okay. That Cheers, boys. RO, you know, that uh, helps get some of the stuff out of RO it. RO is always always helpful as well. Well, RO, and why is that helpful? Even in a, in a either a fresh or saltwater tank, it's because it doesn't. You've removed all the minerals out of it. So you're removing, in the case of diatoms, A, it's a pioneering species, so it's really going to be able to grab any carbon, nitrogen, phosphate source really easy. They grow really quick. But if they're limiting, they're limited by the silica, they're not going to grow. So if you use RO water or anything that can that can minimal or minimize the silica, you're going to really combat those diatoms. I find that if, if I have tanks that would have uh, snails in them, generally I have less of that. I don't know if it's whether they're eating that or if it's because they're kind of doing the Roomba thing where they just constantly oh. eat as they move. It's usually both. And the crazy thing is nearite snails are fantastic in both fresh and salt water. Um, they're awesome at controlling diatoms. And one of the most entertaining snails to watch. I mean, it literally looks like a God's Roomba. I mean, honestly. Just... The, the freshwater ones are a lot cooler looking than the saltwater ones, but they're both uh, great snails. Absolutely. So the last easy piece to pick on is, you know, nature's filter, algae uh, reduction, certain, or control. And, of course, the fish is home. I mean, that is the best way. Most fish require something at least like plants to uh, breed with. Um, I know that I have issues growing out certain species unless there's a lot of plant life. Like most of my Placos, uh, the moment I try to grow them out in a uh, decorated tank with no plants versus plants, night and day there's like a almost like a 50% growth difference just because I don't know if there's more growth on the plants themselves or it's just some sort of energetic happiness. Who knows? I'm not a, I'm not a specialist. I just know the results, but let's talk about uh, fertilization. So there's a bunch of different options that people do. And generally when you're new, you're very intimidated by what's out there. So they try to make this as easy as possible so let's start with, like, what are the fertilization uh, elements that people need? Let's go, let's go a little deep in this. Absolutely. So there's six main things that most people will focus on, and every tank's going to be a little bit different, so not every tank's going to need all six. Um, but phosphate, nitrate, uh, carbon or CO2, uh, iron, potassium, and then a general trace element. The real big thing, phosphate and nitrate in a lot of tanks are typically covered by things like fish. Um, I know a lot of planted guys also like to use like a, 
treated tap water, um, which generally contains some phosphates and nitrates and things like that. But the big ones, you know, a carbon source, um, you can either inject CO2 or dose a liquid carbon. Uh, and then iron is very important for root growth as well as color in the leaves. Um, and then potassium as well is also very essential for especially things like stem plants uh, for their growth. So I get a question people ask because they're trying to understand this whole process that happens out in nature. Where are most of these elements uh, that we use, especially the six elements, found in nature just to replicate this? Not that we're going to go out all and, you know, scoop poop to make that, uh, make the process in the tank. We, we talked about that earlier. You can get poop delivered in a bottle. But honestly, where, where do these come from? So to your point, a lot of it does come from waste, um, but it's more than just like, you know, fish poop. It's, it's things like trees that overhang a pond and the leaves drop out and leaves start to break down and rot in the pond. And that releases a lot of different nutrients. Um, or any of the algaes that bloom and then die off and things like that. So I'm going to pick on you guys based upon some of the products that are, are offered by, by you and your, your partners. So if you go to reflowers.us, you'll find an entire lineup of planted fertilizations. And you have, the, again, the six-part uh, series that, that's pretty notorious for everybody. So just going down the list, for instance, uh, let's start a potash. Where does that come uh, where be found in nature as far as the normal wild cycle? Each individually. I was to say the, pot the potash is going to be a potassium source. And typically you find that both in, what is it, soil, like soil beds um, at the bottom of the lake or pond or stream or what have you. Just naturally, uh, naturally released from the earth below. Especially, especially plentiful around banana plantations. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly. <laughs> or, or spinach, which has more potassium. No, it's, it's a naturally occurring mineral in soil. Um, more specifically... Uh, liquid carbon. So ca carbon comes uh, main, can be either organic carbon, uh, where you're you, you're having a breakdown of proteins, or in the case of where we do it in aquariums, that's most of the time it's through CO two. So you have CO two in the atmosphere, it's transferring down into the water through diffusion, and then it's being uptake through photosynthesis through that. So CO two is your main carbon source, and. Uh... A lot of the different trace elements, I'm assuming, vary from place to place. There'll be different elements in South America versus North America versus Africa. So I'm assuming that all these bottles are varied for the stuff that needs, uh, needs just for focusing on general plants, or is this uh, a specific lineup of trace, trace elements? You do see some trace element variation geographically, but because we're focused mainly on tropics, the, even though we have very different, you know, just between the Rio Negro and the Rio Blanco, very different, obviously, these water sources, uh, you do see in the tropics some really consistent things on the, let's call them the major trace elements, where the ones that are, the, the ones that you're using consistently and through the photosynthesis process, the three main ones that we're always worried about, again, are carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, but there's all sorts of little things that are available, that are needed for the accessory pigments. Um, there's like 20-something uh, accessory pigments that can help in, uh, in light absorption and photosynthetic process. And depending on the color of the plant and all that, you can, you can vary those trace elements. But in the tropics, there's a group, there's a kind of a chunk of them that are pretty consistent in that, in those, uh, I always forget, longitude, latitude. I'm climbing the, lat I don't know, whatever the vertical one is. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that one. I'm not sure either. That'd be, you got me in the spot. Yeah. That'd be north. North. Yeah. North. But when you get up into uh, the northern latitudes where, you know, like where you guys are, where it's freezing already and you're going to have five inches of snow tomorrow, um, 
then you start seeing some difference in the in the plant life, obviously, and some of the trace elements are are, are required that are needed are different. But we're not growing those plants typically, so uh, you, you kind of just focus on the tropical plant needs. Gotcha. So nitrate again is uh, pretty spelled out, but uh, phosphorus. So so phosphorus again in that in that ratio, the Redfield ratio, you have 106 carbons, 16 nitrogens, one phosphorus. And as we mentioned, CO2 can come in through the air. Nitrogen can also come in through the air, although most plants are geared towards using it in, in nitrogen in the form of nitrate at the end of this end of the cycle. But phosphorus really only comes into play in the aquariums and in the wild through input. There isn't like a natural source through the atmosphere. So it's either coming from the ground or it's coming from the food that you're putting into the system. Gotcha. So, uh, so in the, phosphate is really the main thing that we worry about there, PO4, and that's what's used in, in the, all, all photosynthesis. So uh, we want to be careful with it. Um, if, you have a, if you have a very big uh, or a, a very robust, not big necessarily, but a robust planting tank, and you're probably going to be very phosphate limited, phosphorus limited because you're not putting a lot of, of food into say a tank that's heavily planted compared to the amount of plants. But if you have a very light plant load and you're dosing phosphorus, you could end up with a lot of algae issues. Uh, specifically when you get a very high phosphorus ratio that's out, out of whack of that main red field of uh, 106 to 16 to one, you end up with uh, cyanobacteria a lot of times. So if you have cyanos, the immediate thing to do is check your check your ratio and see where your phosphate levels are wonderful so in a in a in a healthy planet tank that's really cranking though you're more than likely going to be phosphate limited so that's when you want to add a phosphorus supplement into it so basically what you're saying is if unless you have a problem with cyanobacteria not necessarily a big deal well you'll gauge it by your plant growth and and the health of your um healthier leaves and things um you, you'll be able to tell if, if you're if your plants are kind of spindly and and although they're growing, but they're not really thick and robust, uh, then you might want to you check your phosphates. If you don't have any phosphates, that means they're eating it all as soon as it's consumed. Oh, so those are the two ends produced. of the that's the two ends of the spectrum. Then you have either your plants aren't doing well, or you have cyanobacteria, or hair algae, or whatever. Yes, okay. yeah. If you're having algae problems, almost almost guaranteed in a, in a plant tank, you have high phosphates. So going into that, because I know there there are certain recipes for this, and I'm trying to put myself in the the eyes of a beginner for a lot of these, uh, these questions. So when you're going through these uh, fertil uh, fertilizers and trying to figure out what's going on, um, is there a certain recipe book that you uh, use for different ones? Because again, there's, there's six pieces generally in all like, these fertilizer uh, products, whether it's dry uh, powder or liquid. So you give an example where you're seeing that and you dose. Is there like a handbook or a guide that you would have where you would try to dose like it needs more trace elements or guess what it doesn't need any more nitrate or it needs more potash like what what are some of the recipes uh, symptoms that we see and then how do we treat some of those most common so a lot of the symptoms are are you know a lot of it can be done visually just by looking at the health of the plants um, when plants don't have certain nutrients uh, things like iron they tend to pale out um, where you kind of see that haley translucent look to the leaves um, you know, if the plants have holes in the leaves or if they have, you know, if they get pulled up real easily because their root structure is very shallow and very poor, things like that can be indicators that certain trace elements might not be in the right amounts. And the easiest way to find out is honestly test kits. Um, there are a lot of different freshwater test kits. 
Um, but in some respects, the eye test is is always kind of your first step. If you look in there and you that your plant suddenly dropped half its leaves off and it's you know looking like it's on its way out, and you know something's out of balance. Now I get that a lot. You you specifically said holes in leaves and leaves falling off. Uh, holes in leaves. A lot of people think, oh, maybe I have a pest. Maybe something ate it. Did those holes just seem to disintegrate, or do they look like they're kind of cut? I'm trying to pick on like Ludwig, for instance. I had a gentleman that said that he was having issues, and I uh, I saw what looked to be almost like perfectly cut holes out of it. It looks to be a sort sort of a pest, but I also have people said that oh, there's no pests in there, and uh, when they treated uh, with uh, um, fertilizers, it went away. So it makes me feel like maybe that was the cause. So you got to remember, just because you don't see a pest doesn't mean there is not a microbial pest involved in there. So that because the the leaves are are growing or not growing, there's always there's always bacteria in there that are going to be attaching themselves to everything. Um, nitrifiers, for instance, are what's called an obligate epiphyte. They grow on a biofilm that grows on any surface, including leaves and plants. So you get a biofilm created on the plant, and if the leaf isn't healthy, it's not going to be able to defend itself from bacteria attacking it and creating those holes. So kind of hard to say whether it's jagged or if it's a straight cut, but almost always a ragged or, or holy leaf, unless it's supposed to have a hole like a lace plant, is, um, is a problem with your overall health and fertilizing of your, of your plants. The plant's not getting enough nutrients to be able to keep itself robust enough to fend off uh, degradation or, or any sort of predation. Gotcha. So you mentioned a little bit about the test kits. You know, most people uh, try to watch the cycle. They go through like pH test kits. Um, what test kits are available out there that for people to use, and what do you recommend? Yeah, nitrate and phosphate test kits are are pretty common. Um, you know, anyone saltwater is very familiar with them. They're they're two of the big things we test all the time. Um, but there's both uh, titration style, which are the little liquid test kits where you add different reagents and they turn colors. And then they also have a lot of digital variants too. Um, personally, I like the digital ones. They're a little more accurate. And with me being colorblind, it's kind of hard to see the color changes sometimes. Uh, so I always go for the uh, the digital ones um, where basically you add a little bit of water, you add some reagents, you press a button on the thing, and it sets out a number for you. So how much do those set you back? I think we talked about this before. Honestly, they're not bad. They're usually somewhere between like 30, 40 bucks. That, that ain't bad. I thought it was going to be like 150 bucks and... You no, no, the, the, the thing themselves is actually pretty cheap, and then you just have to get reagents for it to add to your water whenever you do a test, and usually you can get like a 50-pack of reagents for like 10 bucks. Wonderful. Jimmy, I feel like I'm talking a lot. You got questions? You know, I was just kind of wondering about, uh, on the plants, how do you tell the difference between the plants just naturally shedding and, and them being in trouble? That's... That's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize when they first buy plants is most of these uh, aquatic plants are actually grown in a semi-aquatic environment where like the roots are submerged, but the leaves are not. That way they look nice and big and beautiful when they get to the fish store. Then when you fully submerge them, it kind of shocks them a little bit to the point where they will start dropping leaves or starting to turn a little colors, things like that. Um, so that's always, if, if the plant's really new, dropping leaves isn't necessarily a sign of it's, oh my gosh, it's dying right now. That's usually something that happens just from the shock of going from semi-aquatic to fully aquatic. Um, but if it's a plant that you've had for, you know, a good amount of time where you've had it a few months or, you know, a year or what have you, and then all of a sudden it starts dropping leaves, you know, shedding one here or there is completely natural. Dropping a whole bunch of leaves at once is a sign to start testing. 
now and the on the bunch plants too specifically they're going to grow up on the topper on the upper parts of it the older leaves at the bottom are going to start falling off and you can actually on almost all bunch plants you can trim them and plant the tops back down in the bottom and then the bottoms will grow full again and then you can you'll have a new stem so you kind of keep cropping them and dropping them and then over time if the older ones start to wear out you just chop them all the way off and then you're good to go crop them and drop them and i I see a a couple things like red ludwig like to pick on like a couple exceptions if you don't have light going down the um the plant of red ludwig a lot of times you'll have bottom shedding only and then mid and top will be fine um also one of the that's almost all bunch plants right yeah one of the more common ones that i see is some of the plants especially like you said bunch plants give up when you have there's a different type of algae it's almost like that hard algae that sticks to the glass and sticks to every object that you have to just the only way you can handle it is scraping it off with a razor blade and that type of hard algae covers a leaf and the kind of leaf gives up on those bunch plants as well is there any uh fertilization recommendations for specifically that type of hard algae we get a lot of questions on this again as if you're in balance and you have a very healthy very robust plant tank and your 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 ratios of your carbon nitrogen and phosphorus are in check, you shouldn't have a lot of algae issues because the the uh, plants are using it all up. Now, that's the easy answer. The harder answer is what do you do once you get that problem? You just, from my experience anyway, it's just brute force. You just got to keep dealing with it until you get rid of it. Now, once it's there, it's, it's as you know, it doesn't like to come off glass. It doesn't like come off anything. You just got to keep keep at it and then keep making sure that you're, plants are in the best health that they can. At least that's my experience. I don't know of any magic recipe once you get that hard green stuff going. Yeah. I've, other than fighting it. I've asked a lot of people because you can scrape it off the glass. You can even, you know, do things to get it off decorations. But there's a lot of plants, even like, you know, some of the um, Anubis or Crips that I have. You know, yeah. how do you get it off the leaf? And I haven't had a lot of great recommendations from a ton of people. So if you're listening out there and you have a recommendation on how to get the hard algae off plants after you've dealt with it and, and uh, treated your tank... I want to know. And, Send it and, in. And we'd like the plants to live afterwards. Right. Not just yeah. bleach the damn just, plants. Most of the case, as long as you have a new a new new growth on smaller leaves, if you have an old large leaf that has become infected or clogged or starting out not good, if you trim it off like an Anubius, you can trim off that old leaf and the Anubius will be fine. Um, but you got to be careful with that, that you actually have new leaves coming up. Um because if there isn't any new leaf growth, then you're going to be in trouble. And this is especially if it's a very well-established Anubius. I mean, you know, it's been in your tank a couple months. Um, they're really, they're pretty darn hardy. Uh, if it's a brand new one and you just put it in there and it was one of the, you know, a potted one and you took it out of the pot and just stuck it in your gravel, uh, you got to give it time to get those roots going. It's, it's going to spend a good, just like in a garden or a, you know, a normal plant, when you first put a plant in, it's going to spend a while kind of establishing its root bed before it wants to grow. So while you're, when you first put a plant in and you see it, you don't think it's doing anything. As long as it's not deteriorating, it's putting most of its effort into that root system. And then once the root system is established, then you can really start trimming it and playing with it. And they're going to be pretty robust in general. Um, I did see one comment that I wanted to, I, I felt like I had to mention. I saw it pop up. Somebody was mentioning carbonic acid burn. Uh, and... Uh, you should not have carbonic acid due to CO2 in your tank unless you're way overdosing CO2. And if you do that, you're more than likely going to be killing fish. Um, if you're burning your plants, you're, you're 
almost likely killing fish. If you're if you're not doing it immediately, you're doing it slowly. Uh, you really have to be careful with CO2 um, and overdosing. Um, I speak from experience. We had a PAH probe go bad a couple times on that big tank back in my marine land days, and we we nuked tanks full of fish on a number of occasions from CO2 overdosing. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so you just, uh, the biggest thing with that is um, put it on a bubble counter, or if you don't, if you don't have a, if you have a solenoid that's only turning on and off during the day when your lights are on, put it on a bubble counter and have it go nice and slow until you know that for sure that you're over, that you're, you know, not overdosing it. Um, and don't just let it go free willy and definitely do not run CO2 at night. You, you should not, you shouldn't really have. Uh, unless you're going crazy, you should not be burning anything with carbonic acid. Um, that is, carbonic acid is when you over when CO2 becomes in saturation, it turns into carbonic acid, and that carbonic acid will then eat your alkalinity, uh, at least temporarily, very very quickly, and then your pH can have a sudden drop. So you might be cruising in your tank at you know somewhere between seven four seven six with a pretty solid alkalinity base in it. You overdose CO2 form carbonic acid, your pH can go from 7.6 to like 4.8, literally in an hour if your CO2 is cranking. And you turn the CO2 off, and within an hour, it could be back up to 7.476. And that bounce is what's going to kill things. So we also have another question below about uh, temperature. So my, he says, my discus need 82 degrees. How do temp different temperatures affect plants with uh, specifically fertilizing? They're gonna every when you turn up the temperature, everything moves faster. So metabolism yeah. speeds up. So photosynthesis speeds up. Everything speeds up. So uh, you potentially w could use more fertilizer, uh, but you have to gauge that off your plant and algae growth. But that, that's in general what happens when you increase temperature is metabolism speeds up. Every everything goes faster. Yeah. So your dosing might be a little bit higher than if you had a cooler tank. Um... I say cooler, relatively cooler tank, like in 76 range uh, versus an 82. I just got a message. Uh, Joe said, dose a pinch more phosphate to get rid of that green spot algae, Rob. I, uh, I have, but the problem is, is some of my tanks, I have really old, giant Anubis. Like my Anubis, normally Anubis grows horizontally. I have weird plants that uh, just a handful of them that grew tall. And now they're sticking out of my tank. And I don't want to just trim leaves on them. I just, I love that plant to death and I just don't want to get rid of it. So I have some of them that I'm still trying to figure out ways of getting rid of it, but you know, balance out your tank and the, at least the fresh growth is fine, but it just makes me sad seeing these old uh, plants of like, you know, we're talking eight years um, that are sticking out of your tank. They're just covered in it. And you just got to limp along. I have a quick question on, is there a different way to treat plant bulb? Like, say, Madagascar lace plant, which is a bulb plant, versus a rooted plant. Is there is there something you have to do different? I, I've had great luck with uh, the Madagascar lace, and then all of a sudden it will crap out and be gone, and then three months later pop back up and flourish again. Yeah, it, it goes in yeah, waves so, in your tank. Yes. All, all those apomegodons, that whole genus of plants, do that. The Alvaceous, Crispus, uh, the Madagascar lace. Um, there's a few others. A um, whole lot of bulb plants do that. I mean, I've had yeah. the same thing happen with just like, you know, common lilies in a tank we have at the office where they'll be beautiful for like five, six months, then gone for two months, then all of a sudden come right back. Okay. Yeah. So it's part of the life cycle of those plants. 
Yeah, Madagascar lace, they can go, you can have them go for maybe two or three months if you get a, you know, an already kind of flowering plant and then they'll just, they'll die off. Or sometimes you can, I've had them go for like a year and a half and then they die off. Um, I don't know what the magic number is on there, but all the apomegottons do that. However you say that genus, um, yeah. they all, they all do that same kind of flush cycle. Okay. Come to think of it, the uh, couple of the plant freaks in Fargo that I have talked to, They've had some big, nice ones that have lasted quite a long time. Don't use any heat whatsoever. So that might be it's a little colder. The cycle's just running slower, and that normal cycle where they drop out just seems to last longer. Where we yeah. use heat. Yeah, it's one of my favorite plants, and, and I love it to death. And and there's been times within where I've, I've cleaned up the tank and and found a bulb, and went, oh, what the hell's this? Oh, it's a Madagascar lace bulb. Put it back in a different spot, and it pops up about two weeks later. I don't know what it is. If you have to move them around once in a while, or what? But it seems like when That's I do what find do. when I do find the bulb is that, that most of the roots are pretty shot. I mean, I, it looks like a dead bulb, but when you when you touch it and you squeeze it, it's still pretty hard. So then I put it back in, and takes off again. Squeeze your bulbs. Squeeze your bulbs. Yeah, I've had one that we thought was done and gone for well over say nine, ten months in one of our tanks back in the day, and we moved it. And we found it when we were kind of doing a major cleaning. And moved it, and it popped right up about two weeks later. So they, they're definitely those bulb plants are uh, they're pomegranate. They, they do that. And uh, uh, back to your hard algae question, uh, those lace plants are really notorious for not getting hard algae, but getting cyanos and hair algae on them. Mm -hmm. They love they love that, and that flushing process gets rid of that for them. So yeah, that yeah. helps out with ma maintenance of that plant. So if you have an old old uh, bulb down in your tank, it just maybe move it around, or after you do a major tank cleaning um you might see some resurgence of life Absolutely. yeah i just had a lily recently do that here in my in my tank downstairs the africans ate it up that's good i i feel a little bit better about things because yeah. I, I love that plant so much and then it craps out and then pops up and i'm like what am i doing wrong now i know so let, let's go with some hard questions shall we um there's essentially what i see is three different kinds and there could be more this is just the ones i'm accustomed to is the liquid fertilizer we have the dry almost powder or granular fertilizers that you can add in as like a measurable supplement and then there's like the common root tab and i've seen this come in many different forms i've even seen like fertilizers going like those fizzy alka-seltzer tabs back in the day i haven't seen those in a long time like that was when i was a kid Why don't you I don't know if that was wish. A maybe wish has them wish might have the alka-seltzer <laughs> tab still who knows order some now get some next spring uh, they have some mystery seeds too I know I, they do. Okay, we're we're. This is a, like a little secret for us. We're trying to um, compile a future, you know, product products brought off a Wish episode. So I've been slowly collecting like shitty aquarium products from Wish. They just take Ooh. forever to get here. So I've gotten the mystery seeds. I've gotten a lot of like lotus bulbs from them. I've tried a lot of weird stuff from Wish. So that'll be collected, but I won't get my results until then. <clears throat> you probably got coronavirus from it too. But I, yeah, I, a few I, um, few years ago we. Uh, one, one of our su suppliers through the whatever uh, recommended some that dry tank setup where you put the seeds in, you moist them, and then you grow them up. And uh, we got some samples in to check them. This is this was before you worked with Kyle, I think, maybe four, four years ago, maybe. And we actually did some genetics on it to see what they were to make sure that we weren't uh, if we went down this path, because they work phenomenal. They grow really well. They grow really easy. Uh, but it turns out almost every one of them is in an invasive species. And I don't, something Carolinia is the name of it. And they're outlawed 
to the entire southeast and west. Um, so the odds are, if you got that little thing of seeds and a metallic pouch, like the like the double sized oh, yeah. ketchup bag, it's, yep. it's sometimes uh, are just one sided. Those are invasive. I'm. I'm we, you now have just encouraged our entire listener base to go out and get some of those before they become banned entirely. Well, just don't don't let them out. They're they're pretty nasty. The, the reason they do good is they they're very they're very tolerant. They can be put into a bag and shipped around the world, and then they can get just make them wet, and then they grow like crazy. And so that's why they're a problem for uh, you know being invasive. But uh, I may or may not have gave Rob something like that. <laughs> may or may not. Yeah, I gotta get a couple of cultures from Jimmy yet on that one to do some more research. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, just recently, it, it made national news. Um, people were getting unsolicited packages from Amazon, and they had yep. seed packets, and those too were all mostly invasive products. Well, that was like and people some, were planting them just to see what the hell they were. That was, that was some like what far, uh, agriculture thing that they were trying to do is they're they're trying to discover, like they wanted those yeah. plants over here for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. Like what the one deal of them was. turned out to be some species of melon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah, some was... weird melon. Yeah, just just a lot, a lot of weird stuff. But they're trying to bring up their Amazon, um, how, how the people rate Amazon, yep. and so they're sending. Yeah, they're trying to get ratings. Yes, and and they're sending all this stuff out to people who are like, "What the hell is this?" And they got, "Oh, it's seeds. Let's plant it." And then pretty soon, you got a big giant coming down the beanstalk, kicking your ass. <laughs> I'm I'm yeah, so my, real, my realtor got one of those actually. Did he? Yeah, she got him. Hey, if I throw those away, <laughs> burn them, burn them, burn them. Uh, yeah. So the wish episode definitely is going to be a lot of fun. Um, can't wait. Uh, Jimmy and I got to go on a big uh, purchase spree here just to give it the last. Uh, That's right. Let's spend all the last money we have. You know, I think if we I can got, keep it under $200, it'll be a great episode. Yeah. Four letters for you for that wish tank. G F C I. Please, please define. Ground fault circuit interrupter. Make sure you got one. Ground fault circuit interrupter. <laughs> I thought it was like some like good good effing luck. I thought, I thought, I thought it was, it was gonna going be, yeah. to right. <laughs> I didn't think Plug we everything into that. a GFCI. <laughs> so uh, if you could t- tell the class what you're what you're describing. Uh, G- GFCI. It's a little thing when you turn on your hair dryer and you drop it in the sink. And it pops in the wall, and so you don't electrocute yourself. And then you got to push the little button on the outlet. That's called a GFCI. There so you go. What it will do is, if if there's any voltage leak, it's going to trip that circuit quickly, quicker, almost immediately, versus a circuit breaker, which may or may not pop before you're dead. Just don't uh, get so the GFCI okay off wish. Don't yeah, bite off wish. <laughs> yeah. Go down to Home Depot or Lowe's, get yourself a quality GFCI, plug, and then plug everything that on wish into that. I'm okay with Rob's trying this and you know, not having the GFCI. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's that too. I was at was it like a Lowe's, Home Depot, Menards, and I was uh, picking up some other stuff. I'm not real uh, real handy with a lot of the products. You're not I, handy at all. Another kid came up, the guy that was by me helping me, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I'm looking for some of these outlets. They got the weird push button thing that makes you so you can lick the outlet." I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say? I want to see this button. Oh, you know, just just recently we had somebody on the podcast, and they're talking about making money by selling plants at like the fish shows and stuff, and they're making more money with the plants. And I don't know if you just recently saw this made national news. Uh, I don't know if you guys down south saw it, but uh, a guy here in Anoka, Minnesota, just grew a pumpkin 
2,350 pounds, and he put it on a special trailer, and he hauled it out to California. And I can't remember what grocery store out there, they have a, a national contest, and whoever can bring in the biggest pumpkin then gets $7 per pound for um, that pumpkin. And so he brought this pumpkin out there, and he won 16800 and some dollars. It was the largest pumpkin. It was almost a world record. But what I didn't realize is what they said is where the real money is, is that they'll sell the seeds from that particular pumpkin, and they start out at $80 per seed. Damn, I'm in the wrong business. I'm just thinking, wow, how come we're not growing giant pumpkins and screw the water plants, huh? Do they taste different? I do you like roast them? Like kale, yes. Hmm. Travis Ganger, 35-hour drive from Minnesota to Half Moon Bay's 47th annual Safeway World Championship. Safeway, yes. And $16,450. Yep, and when they, they uh, as they drove this thing across the country, it took like 30-some hours, correct? And uh, they stopped, and, and they had this thing covered with a wet blanket, and they doused it in water so it would not dry out on the, on the drive out there. And uh, what was totally incredible and blew my mind, and I read it three or four times, there was a point where this pumpkin was growing three to four pounds an hour. And what? Three it's to four pounds. It's an ugly pumpkin. Yeah. No it, it's a big Holy ass pumpkin. Holy shit. That's like a movie. Three to four pounds. Yeah. Feed Me Seymour. Have you ever seen that? No. That movie? Holy crap. Uh, it's a little shop of horrors if you want to watch that. Well, since we're on full on tangent, there was a gentleman that I saw, <laughs> right? And he was trying, trying to do plant hybrids. It was like his like weird hobby. The dude had like a beard down to his junk and he just stayed at home. He smelled like Adam, you know, like. <laughs> And he what? was like kombucha. <laughs> what? What? Like kombucha. Uh, no, but what he liked to do is he liked to see a different uh, um, nourishments for melons and pumpkins and stuff. And what he would do is he'd take the uh, vine, kind of like the, the top of the pumpkin, and he would cut it and essentially like attach like a bowl or put the vine into a bowl of like milk and whatnot. Sour milk is what this guy fed his big pumpkin. Yeah. And what they would do, he would just huh. go back and he would have it like on one of those like cat and dog refill stations. Where he puts like a big jug above it, and as it's drinking, it refills the bowl. Yeah, these guys spend, they said, hours a day tending to this damn pumpkin. That is the craziest shit I've ever heard of. Yeah, but I mean, can you imagine how many seeds are in this pumpkin that he can sell for 80 to $100 per seed? I mean, I'd be gutting that pumpkin right now. There's a Discord channel. It's called Pumpkin Guys. Oh, we have to go there. 100%. <laughs> pumpkin Guys. I'm going to get on my mods and see if they can find me the link to put in the show notes. There we go. For sure. Anyways, back to the topic. So we have liquid fertilizers, dry, like granular powder fertilizers, and then either the stick or tabs. So why do we have these and which is best, honestly? So typically your tabs are going to be for, obviously, for root growth. Um, so they're going to be things that are usually relatively high in iron content for root growth. Um, powder versus liquid tends to be more on the how intricate uh you want to dose with a powder you can get a much more like refined and dialed in dosage versus a liquid uh, because typically speaking you know your smallest amount you're going to be dosed with the liquid is a drop which is kind of a um, arbitrary number versus when you have a powder you can actually weigh it out to specific you know 2.4 grams or what have you and get a little more specific with it so what are the disadvantages because again roots have their own or the tabs already have their own specific purpose What's the pros and cons of both? You said that powders, you can measure it better, but what's some of the downsides? It's a, it's a lot 
harder to dose. Um, you know, with a lot of the powders, you have to you know, mix them up in a water sample, something like that, dose them in at different times. The liquids are kind of a grab-and-go type system. In my opinion, the liquids are way easier. So why would you have to do it at different Ultimate. times? I couldn't hear what Rob said. I said, why would you have to do it at different times? Oh, because you don't want the, whatever you're dosing, whether it be, you know, iron, calcium, what, whatever you're dosing in there, you don't want it to interact with the, the other powders. Because um, a lot of those powdered elements um, are not necessarily 100% pure element. They might have something else in there to keep them stable so that they have a longer shelf life or they don't uh, you know, react with moisture or something in the air. And if you mix them together, a lot of times you could just form a really nasty sludge that takes forever to dissolve in your tank to where it's basically useless because it, it takes so long to break down in your tank. Whereas the, the, since it's already a liquid base, you don't have near that risk or none at all? Exactly. It's already dissolved in solution. So when you add it into the tank, it's already dissolved and ready for the plants to take up immediately. But part of the reason that there's six parts in this reflowers program and not one part is that exact reason is they will interact even in solution in high concentration and end up with, you end up with some precipitates or something or some chemical reaction that ends up with a product that is not usable by the plants. So, um, in general, to, along with Kyle's explanation, normally powders are more for more advanced hobbyists that want to have the bargain of getting a lot of whatever nutrient it is in bulk that they can then dissolve on their own. So they're not paying for the labor and the water to dissolve it. And then they're able to dial in the concentration to whatever they want so that if they want to only dose one drop versus half a gallon, uh, they, can, they can make the concentration of whatever nutrient uh, up to it's up to them um so in general normally that's the case is powders are are the concentrated version that you have a lot more control of figuring out exactly what your concentration of your final solution is and it's uh, going to be ultimately cheaper because you're not paying uh someone like us to mix it for you if these uh solutions freeze are they like i remember you talking about the uh the saltwater chemical, the saltwater additives, if they froze, they didn't do well. Would these, if they freeze, are they going to be okay through shipping and everything, or are they not any good after they freeze? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. To tell you the truth, I don't think we've had any freeze. <laughs> okay. It'd be very difficult for them to freeze. The TDS is so high. I can't imagine they, they would freeze very well, but um, it does get pretty cold up there. Like minus 40, I don't, you know, in the winter, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean... The, yeah, I don't. Kyle, have we had any complaints about I'm, any of it freezing? I'm trying to think. We we did actually. We had a one freeze, a saltwater one. Um, the complaint was that when it froze, the bottle ruptured, and so by the time it got to their house, it had thawed back up, out, yeah. and they just had a soggy box and half the bottle. Yep. Yep. Well, with these, um, so yeah, but I, they're so concentrated, it would be unless I mean. But you guys live in the cold, so I was going to say the it. specific gravity on them is going to be such that going to take a pretty extreme cold which i'm not saying is impossible but it's going to take a much more than like it's not going to freeze at 32 or zero for the european listeners so um, I'm, I'm going over the six uh the six solutions here right that people normally uh use and i'm trying to think because none of these are live liquid carbon phosphorus trace elements nitrate none of them are live so i wouldn't believe that it would have any issues on them w without some sort of extreme yeah i think no chemically i don't think We'll do anything. I don't. Again, I don't think we've had any that I'm aware of 
except for that one. Well, we're going to um, do some homework. Good question, Adam. I'll put one out on the front yeah. step tonight, and we'll see what happens. There you go. It'll be frozen in the morning. <laughs> then I'm going to put a cold ball. I, it probably, I'd be surprised. You're, it's not that cold yet. I mean, you're going to get snow, but it's not like. 24 degrees it's gonna be tonight. 24. Yeah, it may not. I, I bet you if you put it out there, it, I, I'd give it 50-50 whether it actually freezes or not overnight. Yeah, we got to have a uh, 47 below peak in the winter here, and then we'll do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Come February, when you guys are really cold, then then maybe we'll have. Yeah, Joe makes a good point that they really the only thing to worry about with the freezing is for everything to separate for the you know the water to rise up and your solids to kind of come out of solution. But just shake up the bottle when it thaws back out, and you'll be back in rocking and rolling. Yeah. If the bottle explodes and you end up with a bunch of liquid all over the place, odds are the concentration is not going to be what we want it to be anymore. So you should probably throw it away. But all right, so. Um, we have a couple people that message, and we're getting repeats here on uh, holes in the and uh, plants from a couple of different people. I'm even getting directly PM'd by a, a few. So early in the episode, we answered that already about why holes are happening and how to treat them. So we'll certainly get this episode to you uh, faster if we can. But again, we already answered that question, so moving on. But you mentioned before dry versus powdered, and you don't want to dose everything at once because of how they would react. So why in the world do we have all-in-one uh, fertilizers for liquid? I, I can't remember if there's any powder I've ever seen that are all-in-one, but clearly you shouldn't. Well, it's how to be politically correct here. They're not all-in-one um, because you, ca you, can't, you can't put everything you would need in one bottle completely. Um, we, Kyle and I were discussing, we, we figured this kind of question would come up about the all-inclusive uh, on, on there, and it's not everything like it's not it doesn't have a major carbon or nitrogen source or in there so it's when at least when in our in the reflowers case we're talking all in one we're talking all the minerals not the majors not not carbon nitrogen phosphorus but all the minerals or not all of them but the ones that are chemically um compatible to go in for the trace metals and things so basically your um your iron trace elements and uh, <coughs> your uh, potassium most of those are compatible in the way that we can mix them in there. But once you start mixing in the other stuff, then you end up having uh, reactions. In particular, things like carbon and phosphate are relatively highly reactive. Phosphate in particular, um, in a form that's usable for plants, is almost reacts with almost everything, which is why you, you keep it in its own its own dosing. So do most companies, and again, I'm, I'm picking on you guys as a journalist because every company is different. I mean, there's there's bad products that we've had that just look like, you know, that are literally just phosphate in a bottle, and they say it's the complete solution. You don't have to worry about it. And that's, it, it, there's a lot of false advertising out there. But for these, we'll call them all-in-one solutions because literally most companies brand them as you just need this one bottle. Here it is. It has all the stuff in it, which clearly isn't the truth. And you need these six uh, six solutions. So is it because they – do they attempt to try to put those two together and just say low doses so it's not oxidizing in the bottle? Or is it just completely missing because they know it won't work? <laughs> I, I see, see. I see yeah. you twiddling your thumbs. Well, it's a, there's an answer, and then there's a politically yeah, correct. Yeah, answer. I, was, I was thinking. I the want the real thing. answer. Like, they didn't talk about this before. Say the there's there's things that there's you know there's what what do you poop juice in a bottle, right? So you know some there's some good products, there's some bad products out there. So not to say that there aren't good uh, single bottles of pro product that will help you grow plants. But it'd be very difficult. It's not very difficult. It's impossible to put everything of fertilizer you would need in a plant in one bottle. It's chemically impossible. Now, can you put 
a lot of what you need in, in it and say, hey, just add this. And in most aquariums, you're going to be okay. That's, that's basically what the all-inclusive is on the reflowers line is, is that if in a normal, a normal tank where you have nitrogen and phosphate source, then you can add this one other product and it's going to give you everything else to kind of help the plants flourish. But you, you need, you still need a carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus well, source. So it's not that you it's... still need CO2. You still need to feed right. your tank. If you feed in your tank, you have nitrogen and phosphorus almost for sure. And it's not that nitro- it can't be put in a bottle. It's can't be put in a bottle without repercussions. You know? Yes. So it's not necessarily uh, false or, advertising. Or you, you can put it all in the bottle, but it's not going to do you any good. I mean, I'll say it. I'll just go over and I'll say it Thank right Thank you. Here. We, we want the honesty, Joe. Give it to us. I'll be, I'll be the honest person. There's multiple companies out there that the planet tanks are getting really popular right now and everybody it's a quick way from them to make an easy buck on it by rebranding an all-in-one fertilizer and just putting it in their bottle and saying oh this is you know this works great right here but for an average person just getting into the hobby it's a quick way for them to put fertilizers in there but once you get more into the hobby you should really start dosing individual stuff out there i mean I mean, if you look at it, uh, Aquarium Co-op, they they have their own uh, UNS, Boost Plants. Everybody has their own liquid fertilizer, and it's pretty much all the same chemical, but you don't have carbon in there. And some of the stuff in there is such low trace amounts in there, it really doesn't do nothing for your tank. I just so, wish... Uh, if you're back to that kind of thing, like a beginner. If you're a right. beginner and you're just starting off and you got you know, you know got some Crips, you, you got uh, Nubius or some Java Fern or Java Moss, and you want to grow that stuff... What you know, but they're not doing fantastic. But it's a new tank. You know, you have your you know you're not doing your water changes very well. You know, there's nitrate and you know there's phosphate in the tank. If you add one of the like all inclusive or any of the all other all in ones that have all the other accessory stuff, parts four, five, and six, and you dose that in there, and even if it's not the best way to do it, it's the general. It's going to hit the eighty twenty rule. Um, you're going to you're going to have some beginning success with that. But as you mature in the hobby and you start using, doing more and more advanced plants and and things, then you're going to you're going to start noticing that you need to be more specific with your dosing. And that's when your experience, your eye, and understanding what the plants are doing, being able to tell whether they're happy or not, all that stuff starts coming into play. And then you get more refined into six part or more or whatever solutions you have. But in the beginning, a bottle is going to help you grow some of those beginning plants better than without it. Um, but it's not, it's not all in one. Well, you, you heard it here first. Those, I hate the branding. Joe's I really do. Me the thumbs up. Yeah, Joe's giving us the thumbs up. I really hate the branding all in one. After really knowing this, all in one, you know, paints out. Oh, I don't need anything else. It should be like the easy solution or some other terminology, showing that it's essentially training wheels before you can do your homework, do your research, and use the six piece solutions. You have to be able to dial it in, and that's got to dial. That got to dial it in, and you know, just like saltwater tanks, uh, if you're off here or there on something. Unless you dial it in, you're not going to have the success that you want. You're not going to have the results that you want. So without dialing so, in with all these different items, you're, you're going to have then, less success. You, have, you also have to, look at, you have to look at the aspect of the average person when they walk into a store and they're like, I want this. I see your planet tank right there. It's really beautiful. I want to get something like that. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to fertilize. Instead of them looking at, oh, man, there's like four different bottles I need to get and stuff. It's, it's going to be too complicated for me. They app for the easy way of just, oh, this is all in just one bottle and everything else. 
they don't understand they don't want to do the research on that you know well, it's just issues and it's, yeah, it's like, like in a marine tank using an ab solution versus yeah, you know two dart versus the four yeah yep exactly same kind of thing if you um and then there's some trickery in vocabulary here and um the reflowers is uh not not being not trying to be uh elusive there but they play that same game uh, if you go to the all-inclusive page on the website uh all-inclusive contains all the minerals to stimulate growth increase color and improve overall health of plants it doesn't say minerals and nutrients and that's only it's fair minerals. you know but i just and, see yeah so all so of the average novice, so they might not know that. But the rest of the copy on that page, this is where, you, you know, it's transparency and trying to help people understand and the way that we do things and the reason that we partnered with Free Flowers is because we like the way they do stuff as well, is formulated to work the best in aquariums with high fish load and modest amount of plants, already rich in nitrate and phosphates, but are low in other nutrients plants are required. So it says all-inclusive, but it's all-inclusive minerals when you already have a nutrient-rich environment in your tank. And so you try, you know, is there a magic bottle? I would say no. Is there a bottle that will help specific beginners with beginner plants with high fish loads or, or haven't been up with their water changes? Absolutely, things can help. But it's all in being transparent and honest, in my opinion, on how you actually tell people your product works and what's in the bottle. You're, t you're talking about maintaining or flourishing. Which one do you want? Do you want to maintain something alive or do you want to flourish and watch it grow? Yes. Exactly. And a lot of it too, you know, I know when I first started dosing my saltwater tank, I'm the king of lazy dosing. And I was like, man, I want something that I only have to do like one time, maybe once a week type thing. But once you start kind of getting into that habit of hey, I've, I've started dosing and you start to see a little bit of result, you're just like, all right, now how can I make these results better? And that's when you can kind of step up to the more advanced systems where you have you know, six parts instead of one and everything like that. And even when we're talking about dosing compared to other pets, um, uh, I always, I look at, you know, people don't consider having a dog a lot of maintenance. Um, every morning I got to walk that dog for 15 minutes until he craps. And then I kind of take my hand with a little plastic bag and pick it up and then deal with that. That's maintenance. Every day I got to do that. Normally twice a day, I got to watch that dot, walk him around and wait for him to take a crap. And that to me, a dosing, figuring out how to dose an aquarium is way easier than physically picking up dog shit twice a day. I'm, I'm telling you, man, the next time I see a pile <laughs> of fresh dog shit, I'll think about you. It's going to be th yeah. think about the whole process there. Yeah, but it's, you know, when you, when you really break it down, people are always worried, oh, it's so, it's so much effort to dose. Uh, not, not at all. I mean, once you, once you understand what to do, it's, you know, maybe five minutes a week on right. dosing a whole planet thing. And so, I mean, people are thinking to themselves, this is, this is complicated, this is expensive. You could buy, how much are those rods? They're all about under 10 bucks each bottle, correct? Uh, for the small bottles, they're about six a piece. $6 a piece, and you go out and get yourself uh, a couple of kits to test your water. I mean, for, for 35 40 50 bucks, you can have it all figured out and uh, be well on your way to success. And yeah, 50 bucks sounds like a lot of money to people. How much is a Madagascar lace plant at the goddamn pet store? You know, 12 15 bucks just for one plant. So why not try to maintain that plant and, and uh, let it split and, and uh, have more? Hey, let's pick on Joe for a minute since he decided to join us. What's the uh, most expensive plant that uh, you've either purchased, got in your store, or helped with? 
what's the most expensive plant that I purchased? Le or legal that? plant. Legal. Legal Joe. plant. Legal. <laughs> Not dried in a bag. Yeah, legal. Aquarium plant. This is. Um. I, well, I have that rare planted tank in there, and I think the most expensive plant I have inside there is that Agazu. That's newer on the market. I think it's only been three years on the market and stuff, and I think I paid uh, 95 bucks for it. But for that planted tank, which I put pictures of it in the um, in the messaging thing, that's like 1500 bucks worth of plants in there because it's all rare plants and hard-to-find plants. And that's, and, and that's a struggle because a lot of the plants that I have have never seen water before, too, and it's both converting them from you know, being submerged or from being immersed to submerged and stuff. So, I mean, it, it was a struggle, but it's all about being patient with your tank. You know, if, if you start having something go wrong, don't don't freak out. Do do massive big changes and stuff. Do small changes and see if that corrects it. Um, a lot of times, you know, people have issues with their algae and they're like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, well, how long do you have your lights on for? 20 hours? Well, it's way too freaking long. Shut down your lights and stuff like this. Or if they're dosing CO2, they're not taking a siesta time. You know, if you you know if you have your lights on for five hours, have it you know have it on for four hours, take a siesta for half hour, and then have it on again. Uh, and then just you know being patient with the tank. But yeah, it's it's plants are pretty simple. A planted tank is is really simple. If you you know you know if you make it more complicated, it's more complicated. But I try and teach people just the simple way of doing it. You know, looking at leaves, looking at certain things, and Google works great where you can just Google. You know, why are my plants uh, leaves turning yellow? Why do I have green spot algae? And it tells you corrections on there. And I don't like picking on certain companies, but there's a company out there that has 8 million bottles of fertilizers. All the bottles look identical and it confuses people. That's why people go to like an all-in-one because they're so confused of what to use on it versus understanding the key facts of it. So, but yeah, answer your question. I think the Agazu is the most expensive plant I have in that one tank. Fertilizer's worth it at, at uh, $1,500 for your plants in your tank. There's, there's no question. So now I did a review. Now, again, um, Reef Flowers and Cobalt are sponsoring the, the podcast. We're doing a, a, a couple ad efforts, and we're also doing the giveaway, which is talked about in the beginning of the podcast. But I got the product in before we took on the sponsorship because yeah, I want to try the product. And I want to see you know why, why it's different. Is it, is it usable? Because I don't want that. You know, Here's the all-in-one solution, and all it is is phosphate in a bottle. So gave it a try. I had wonderful luck. And I think the best thing about the product, because I've used the six solutions before, I'm, I'm a guy that does not a lot of fertilizers, but now I'm definitely full on because it's so much easier, is the measuring. The, the measuring, I don't care if it's you know dry. I don't care if it's wet. If I have to like sit there with a calculator and then wet. measure out six bottles and six different different measurements, like one gets a teaspoon, this gets two milliliters, and it goes down the line. It is such a pain in my ass, and I'm just ready to go down to the training wheels solution that should never be called all-in-one. So this allows you to measure out once, and all the bottles are same. So good on you guys, honestly. Yeah, so all the concentrations of everything have been formulated so that so it's easy, the same dosing across the board. That's Yay, so, chemistry. Even though, <laughs> even though the ratio... Behind the scenes, the chemistry is very different, but we're mimicking basically that redfield ratio that I talked about in the beginning, early on in the podcast, that ratio of carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus. So even though you're dosing 10 mils per 26 gallons, I think it is, uh, across all the bottles, all those concentrations underneath are very different, but you're going to end up dosing the right amount in your aquarium if you follow the guidelines. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff is pretty great, and it's also a good, uh, good price. You can use promo code Aquarium Guys for either cobalt stores or reflower stores for 25% off. 
but uh, you know, even just shelf price, you can get different uh, options. So they have like eighty-five milliliter to a thousand milliliter for the big tanks, and even the big containers that last forever are only like twenty-four bucks without discounts. So easy to do. I, I was pretty impressed. And uh, yes, Jimmy and I do do research before we take on uh, sponsors. So. We do. I, I like it. Uh, works very very well. It does not make a good margarita. I will say that. Yeah, don't uh, don't do that. And in fact, that's why I'm happy with these bottles. I uh, have had pump bottles in the past, and they look like those CBD hemp lotions or soaps you put in the bathroom. Oh, and that's what I've had. And they're like, dude, your your soap smells like shit, bro. Like, what? Why is it in the bathroom? My wife just moved it in there or something because she mistaked the label. And yeah, don't don't do that. Don't do that to your guests unless you you hate them or Jimmy comes over. It's right next to your anal lube bottle, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, and uh, fun fact. I, I yeah, Fun fact. I figured this out because I actually ha- asked about the pictures. I'm like, where did you guys get these crazy pictures? And the pictures on the Reflowers bottle are actual uh, tanks that either users submitted or well, wh- whose are these again exactly? But I they, know they're used with Reflowers. They're either the tanks that they personally have in the office or that the guys that work for Reflowers have in their homes. Um, so one of the guys that started Reflowers is a, a really skilled photographer, and he basically went around to all their tanks and got all the artwork for the bottles out of their tanks. So everything you see on the bottle has been grown with Reflowers. Wonderful. There's a lot of crazy colors, but did we uh, did we miss anything obscure? Um, I know we have a lot of like DIY questions of uh, fertilizer alternatives. Um, there's a episode I'm saving in the future. We're having uh, Dustin's fish tanks on, hopefully in the future. And uh, he agreed that we're, we're going to do a, a ghetto episode together. So I think using like alternatives is going to be hit on that. But other than that, is what are we missing? There, there was one good question I saw come across where someone asked, um, should you wait for signs of deficiency to start dosing or should you start dosing before to get gorgeous plants? And I think that's a really good question because... Excellent. I, I, I worked aquarium maintenance before I came to Cobalt. And you'd see a lot of people that would wait until there was a problem to try and treat the problem and you know it with aquariums consistency is key so if you start dosing right from the beginning and you've got your your ratio and your levels going then when you add these new plants they're going to come into that new environment and once they're settled in and adapted to that environment you'll see these you know these growth coming out of them and new leaves and everything like that and really you know i i recommend always you know start dosing um, and then adjust the amount you're dosing as you get more plants, as they're getting bigger, as they're taking up more nutrients, you can then increase the amount you're dosing, but always kind of start from the beginning and get them in. Um, don't wait to f- have a problem and then correct that. Start a little preemptive, if you will. And a big part of that too is in the new tanks is, or when you're first planning a, a tank is again, those, you, a lot of times you're using punch plants. And you're using the crop of the top of the plants that's what are sold. They don't have their root systems yet. They don't have, you know, because they're the top of the plant. They'll grow the roots. And, but when you first put them in there, a lot of the growth is happening where you don't see it because they're, they're establishing their root bed and they need all that nutrients. Even though you're not seeing a lot of plant growth above the surface, below in your soil or your gravel, they're, they're establishing that root bed. And the nutrients are vital and minerals are vital during that time. Um, it makes a big difference. Um, and even though you may not see, again, the plant growth, they're sucking it up and it'll keep your algae from growing because they're, they're sucking up those nutrients to grow those roots. Now, so a couple other uh, questions, especially on the root tab subject, right, where you're talking about, 
I've had people come in, and I just want to put out a warning for some people that are beginning uh, some of these uh, fertilization products. Root tabs are fantastic in a mixed gravel bed where it's intended to grow plants. If you have three inches of solid sand, like I do, and do grow plants in there, it's not that you can't use those tabs, but know that you're literally putting pockets of biological bacteria in your tank <laughs> to create that that gas that we talked about. <laughs> it's like so, it's kind of like planting a turd monkey. Know that if you put those in there, you're going to have to take a stick and rake and release those pockets before they come real anaerobic. You know, I really like Kyle's answer uh, going back to uh, dosing right away and stuff. Some of the best advice I ever got when I first started wholesaling tropical fish, uh, Paul and Mike Norton from uh, Norton Tampa Bay Fisheries in Tampa had told me, he said, you know, you can keep a healthy fish healthy, but it's really hard to get a sick fish healthy. And it's the same thing with plants. You know, if you can, if you start out from the get go, keeping them healthy, it's just going to be much easier down the road. Uh, this year, um, I had the best successful garden I've ever had, and my wife and I do nothing but a salsa garden, and we did uh, seventy-five pints of salsa this year, and we had about twenty plants of, of tomatoes and stuff. And I, I listened to some of the locals. I used some of the fertilizers that they they told me to use, and uh, by God, uh, those things sat there for the first three weeks and didn't grow at all. And I was so disappointed, but all of a sudden when the, that root structure got hold, those things shot up to the moon and produced so goddamn many tomatoes, we were giving them away. And this is the first year that I've actually took the advice from somebody and actually followed it. And, it, and uh, we had four times the garden that we did before and it was so much more satisfying. So to have a satisfying plant tank, um, I would follow all this advice that you guys are given. So going on the last couple questions, um, we got someone messaging me asking about those Alka-Seltzer tabs. So he mentioned, are they wonder shells? No, uh, the wonder shells that people don't know are these de essentially dissolvable supplemental calcium. Like they put cuddle bone into this weird block mm -hmm. that they shape like a shell. You throw them in, it adds calcium in your water. It, I think it's a decent solution. Yeah, I've had luck with it. If I'm doing calcium, I'd rather go with color cuddle bone. But no, the, the tabs I'm talking about literally looked, they were something from my childhood. You go to Walmart and you wanted to add something to your tank and it literally had like, like some generic brand and it said plant fertilizer. And you put it in, it literally looked like grandpa's Alka-Seltzer tab. You put it in, it fizzed, not like crazy, but consistently until it dissolved away. And then suddenly you magically had fertilizer in your tank I, and sea monkeys. I know exactly what you're talking about i had those as a kid when i had like a little goldfish tank with two goldfish in it i bought those at the pet store because i was like i'm gonna put plants in here and they're gonna be real plants and i put the entire pack in there when i was like eight years old oh yeah and just like it was a mess i, I think joe he's holding something up on camera um, of looks like, looks like a packet of those Alka-Seltzer tabs or condom. Not sure. It, it's got Chinese writing all over it, which explains why I haven't found them in Walmart. Hey, we're not talking about flower horns. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then the last question is best place to order plants online, uh, size, color, and quality. Well, that's, uh, there's a lot of places I bought plants and a lot of places I hated getting plants. I'm not going to mention the, those particular ones, but honestly, um, Rather than recommending some place that uh, may or may not have quality uncertain, like for instance, any product you order that's live uh, from anywhere has different uh, different holders. So for instance, you may have company A and they have really good X, Y, and Z. Company B has really good E, F, and G. Um, 
So it's hard to pick a certain company. But what I'd recommend doing, if you're wanting to get into plants and find a good place to get started, is go on your local fish clubs. Go on Facebook. Try to find a plant enthusiast and expert. Because I see so many people get discouraged. I'm talking people that have been in the hobby for 20 years won't touch plants because they, they just seem intimidating to people, and they're really not. So go to one of those friends, and with your, those plant nuts that you see that had like nine tanks and all they have is like three fish, go to one of those dudes and say, hey, man, if I take you out to dinner, bring a bucket and give you 60 bucks, can you fill it with whatever? I don't care what it's called because the names are intimidating, the marketing on them's you know, iffy. There's only a few that we have like common names for. So just get a bucket of whatever, start, start fertilizing and see what works for you. And as these plants grow, it's so much fun calling up that same buddy and saying, Hey, this plant is really doing crazy. Well, what is that fun plant? And then bonding. You learn a lot more because you have it in your hand and you're not just, you know, arbitrarily learning. Like you find a fish cool, you see what works for you and works for your water qualities and start fertilizing from day one. Easy peasy. There's there's a couple of companies down in Florida that do exclusively plants. Unfortunately, as a hobbyist, if you're going to buy from them, you have to buy so much, you'd have to have 30 tanks in, in your house. Um, I would also suggest if you use one of these companies uh, down in Florida that exclusively does plants, maybe go to your fish club and and say we've got 40 people here and we want enough for 40 tanks and let them pick out what they know is well and trust that person um when i buy fish sometimes um my salesperson will will, will say um i'd stay away from that this week or you know hey i got something really cool and you, you learn you get a relationship you learn to trust that person and then you get the best stuff out there so if you want to get a huge variety of stuff, but you have to buy a bunch, you're going to have to probably use your local fish club. Even our uh, local Discord, and again, you can find our Discord. That's where we do our, our um, podcasts, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. The link's in the bottom of the website. Even our Discord, we have a place called Marketplaces where we allow people to sell their own stuff. And we have a in-house plant expert. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Willa. He has a couple of characters at the end of the name as well. But he is definitely an in-house plant sell, uh, seller. He's a big hobbyist, and he has beautiful, luscious tanks. I know he sells on there. Those groups, killer. But uh, again, if you're a company, you sell aquarium plants. You know, Just like we uh, found Joe with his amazing shrimp and cobalt with reef flowers and tested them out, we'll be happy to test out your plants and uh, accept or deny your sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> what, one of the things about your local club that... Um, connection that's really fantastic when it comes to plants is um you're getting you know you're getting fresh good quality clippings off of something that's growing in your town and although we've talked in generalities about how nutrients and things and we're worried about the tropics and all that we've talked about there are some uh in some places you know like oregon there's very different water in oregon than there is in las vegas and so if the plant is growing in the water in Las Vegas and you go, you live in Las Vegas and you go to that club and you get it from a guy who's growing it, it's used to that water. It's, it's acclimated already and you're getting a high quality trimming and it, you should have a lot higher level of success than you would if you just went off and bought it from God knows from say a somebody that's growing in Oregon where the water is super soft. There's no alkalinity versus Colorado river water. So getting it, getting, especially when you start getting it from somebody local 
um, you're going to have a lot better chance of getting that first step of success than you would just ordering it willy nilly. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was giggling the, the back of that. Um, somebody from chat decided to uh, do some uh, memes for us. And they, what they did is Uh-oh. they took the six elements from uh, the Reflowers bottles and uh, put them on Power Rangers characters. So nice. <laughs> apparently, I didn't see that one. just to let you know, apparently nice. Trace Elements is the green or white ranger. Because which, it's both mixed. Which one's which one's the hot ranger? Oh, definitely nitrate. Yeah, nitrate's yeah. hot ranger. <laughs> Funny. I didn't see that one come across. I'll have to send it to you, but I, I do have a question. Please. Is there any flowering aquatic plants like that have flowers or not really? There absolutely are. I have some. And oh really? Oh yeah. Who's I have beautiful Anubis? Anubis. All the swords, um, lace plant uh, any of the pop and cottons will flower. Almost. Yeah. almost. So do you need to do you need to, do you need to add some special like is there any of the elements that would help them flower more? Because I've never even seen them anything flower in an aquarium. I've never I've never done aquatic plants, so this was pretty interesting. I was taking notes throughout the whole thing. But this is this is a perfect thing to segue to Rob's I was about to say guys. that. Like, wanting to take on the sponsorship actually they came to us and said how do we get this word out about this rob why don't you tell them what flowered for you well i have like a new, i make jokes on my aquarium right i have these beautiful anubis i told you about and i always look in the aquarium and make jokes that my uh since reducing reef flowers it looks like a funeral because you have what this looks like these peace lilies popping up all over the place uh, that's the Anubis has a white bloom and uh, it, it's beautiful. But yeah, that was always the joke is now that I put reef flowers in, it's just a, a funeral carpet on the bottom of my aquarium. But <laughs> even like my Ludwig, I have red Ludwig. I put it in and it's just super brilliant. Like, ad- especially after adding like a little extra phosphorus to that tank, that stuff bloomed beautifully. And that's not even a flowered plant. But even uh, one of my favorites is uh, Tiger Lotus. Again, not another blooming plant, but it's that purple, beautiful texture. A lot of fun. I think Anubis is a really like easy one to start if you want to try flowering because if your Anubis flowers, that's that's like your reward besides perling. I didn't even mention perling. Um, we we got to do another plant episode. We absolutely we got to. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning a lot. I need to do no. You need to do another one of these. Right. We got to do stuff that isn't milfoily illegal stuff. Adam, come on now. I so don't back, know it was technically illegal. <laughs> we so don't know back yet. To your uh, specific question. A lot of times, um, if you once you once you if you have a good carbon and nitrogen source, and your tank is is absorbing all the phosphate, all the phosphorus that it can, you're kind of maintaining a very healthy population. Then, if you kick up your phosphorus a little higher, that's normally when you start seeing flowering, along with some sort of water change or something along those any any sort of chemical change. Uh, so, a water change and then an increased level of phosphates but not to the point where you're overdosing, but you're already say, say you're using X and you're maintaining a very high quality. You bump it, you know, X plus 10, 20%, you'll start seeing flowers typically uh, because they're able to, they already have a nice big root structure. They have really healthy leaves and they're producing uh, and they're photosynthesizing in a very health, healthy, healthy clip. Then they, they get that extra little pop of nutrients. Then they go into reproduction mode. So you go right from so, right from foreplay to a happy ending, right? And yeah. Even it's like the phosphorus, little, add a little phosphate, and you get like <laughs> boing. Even that phosphorus, like I added in that, it was ten days, I believe, because I was just past my second dose. Because I did, you know, week one, week two, 
I was just going in my second week, and there's where my flowers quadrupled. But yeah, um, I, th- I think that does it for questions. Have... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, and they did correct me. Uh, resident plant daddy. You're right. It, Will is the resident plant daddy in Discord. Well, is, is there any other questions for you, Jimmy? I have just been fascinated by all of this. I learned something every time on this goddamn podcast, which I so regret ever telling you I'd start doing this a year ago. But man, every time we do this, we learn something new. We uh, uh, hopefully share this with everybody, and I hope everybody has success out there because we started this podcast for people to have success. We want people to stay in the hobby because, unfortunately, uh, you know, all the European countries are kicking our butt, you know, keeping aquariums and keeping uh, fish. So it's time that we step it up. Yeah, you look at the uh, like surveys, right? United States are like, hmm, I want a goldfish in a bowl. Then you go to Europe, and they're like, I want a double chamber CO two unit going on my, you know, specialty uh, recommended tank from George Farmer. <laughs> we just need to kick, well, kick up our game and start with fertilizers. So, <laughs> being somebody that before COVID would go to Europe quite often, and we have European partners, um, there it's a different mentality when it comes to aquariums over there. It's not that they're better at it. They just, they invest more if they're going to be involved. Um, so we have a lot of very casual participants here. Um, the, but over there, the hobbyist ratio is a lot higher. So, and I wouldn't say, um, they're definitely on the plant side. Uh, they're pretty good. But on the reef side, I would say we rival them pretty, pretty hard. They, they um, Europe tends to not like horsepower. They like to do everything very low and slow. Um, and more natural per se. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself to the reef side as much. Not, not saying they don't have fantastic reefers over there, but we, I think uh, the Asian and U.S. reef uh, guys are at a higher level than a lot of the European guys, in my opinion. Now, plants, plant side, Europe, they, they're just, that's the way they're wired. Low flow, uh, minimal filtration, way more natural. And so on the plant side, definitely Europe, uh, is ahead of us, but um, as a hobby overall, I, it's it's different, different mentality. I, I'm just loving it. Just you know, less uh, professionally, respectably talking shit. You can't get better than that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Suck at Europe. Huh? All right. Well, I know Adam has a bunch of questions, but we're gonna have to continue this in another episode. We're gonna do definitely another plant episode here in the future. But uh, I'm glad we get kicked this off. So thank you both. You know, Kyle and Les, it was a it was a pleasure having you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And also, Joe, stop by more often, homie. Come on now. What was that, Rob? I said stop by more often, homie. I know we got snow coming up. We should come up there. You're darn right. Get up here before the five inches drop tonight. It'll be wide open <laughs> yeah. for you. Well, guys, Are you guys uh, talking about flower horns again? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Definitely not talking about Rob because we've been talking one to two inches in. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Well, on that note, guys, if you like what you hear, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. And on the bottom of the website, you can support the show. You can donate once monthly. It helps keep the lights on. You know, buy some merch. We got stickers now by popular demand. And I just got mine in, and they're pretty damn decent. So, I mean, not the cheapest things because they have to be large custom agent cuts. I think they're like two, three bucks for the big stickers. But, but uh, uh, stop back next week. We're going to be giving out free tattoos. Right. And we also got a couple giveaways that we're working on for J4 uh, Flower Horns. He's still giving that uh, Flower Horn away. And, of course, uh, Cobalt and Reef Flowers have the giveaway we mentioned at the beginning of the episodes. Support our sponsors. Support us. Thank you. And we'll see you next week.
Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go frack yourself, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's my boy, don't you know.